is no wide open road wide enough to take you away from mortality. No one's young forever. No one outlasts decay. We are strong only for a while, and then we begin to see the end coming. Death is sure. It will not pass over us. One day we will find ourselves at the last station, down at the end of the line, and we'll have to get off. Some find this idea morbid. Me? I find great hope and drive and even inspiration from the clarifying light this truth brings. We get one life. It began with a scream and it will end in silence and stillness. But what we do in between has eternal significance. It is rife with the potential for beauty and darkness. It springs from the glowing heart of meaning and it stands out in dramatic contrast when we hold it up next to the reality of death. After all, you don't get shadows without light. My name's Ransom, and you're listening to the ramblings of a revenant alien. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Rich and Raucous Antiquities. Come on and tread the heart of the labyrinth. It's not so bad as all that. If this is your first time here in the show, it's a pleasure to have you. Calm your mind, slip beneath the surface, and dive deep. Enjoy the undertow of mysteries and the sea salt sting of the blues. Whatever's got you weighed down, set it aside for a while. Hope you find some light to take with you on your journey. And if so, hold it high and pass it on. And now my friends, come on along and ramble with me. of the ancient Roman Empire, it's believed, they had a fascinating tradition. Whenever a conquering general would return home, he would ride in a chariot in an extravagant victory parade, driving his captives in front and basking in the worship of the crowds. But riding in the chariot beside him was a slave, whose sole job it was to constantly whisper in the general's ear the following words. Respice poste, hominem te esse memento, memento mori. Translation, look behind, remember you are mortal, remember you must die. Where and how they came up with this tradition, I don't know, but it's genius. These generals were being venerated like deities, but they weren't, they were just men. (laughs) 
and the Romans realized that hubris, that is, unyielding delusional pride, was a dire threat, especially among powerful men, men who commanded legions that could do grievous harm. Now, none of us are Roman generals, but the warning whispered to those ancients is one we should take to heart. Remember that your days are numbered. Remember that you're just a human. Time is precious. It's a limited commodity. And when you're riding the high point of your life, don't let it go to your head. Your end date hasn't changed. As I said up top, this may seem morbid to some of you, and I get that. But I think it's so beneficial to sit around the fire and look down the road into the infinity that's out there waiting for us. It's going to find us one way or another. Might as well be ready as we can to meet it and live our days like the precious treasures they are. And to do so, we must be aware and active. I hope my thoughts today help you on that journey. I hope they give you strength, clarity, even joy. Life is beautiful. Death is coming. Here we go. How do you want to be remembered? It's a sobering question, because what you want and what will be might differ wildly. I don't know a thing about my great-grandparents on my mother's side. Zero. And I know next to nothing about my great-grandparents on my father's side. Couldn't even tell you their names, the places they lived, most of what they did. No clue. But one story I do know that my father told me. Grandpa Great, as we call him, came to faith in the middle of his life, 30s I think it was. He went on to become a preacher and a teacher, maybe an evangelist, I don't know. Did it for the rest of his life. And he amassed a whole office full of books, every single one of which he read. Apparently he uh, couldn't complete all a seminary and that bothered him. So he stocked up on texts and retreated into that office constantly. He gave his life to it. But what he didn't do, apparently, was love on his wife, Grandma Great. Seems their marriage was a cold one. Grandpa Great poured himself into his ministry but failed to minister to the one person he'd promised his life to. So when he passed, remember now, I never knew this man and this is what I know about him. When he passed, Grandma Great didn't want a thing to do with that office full of books. She wouldn't even go in. The bitter pain was too great. She had the rest of the family clear it out. And that's the only complete story I know about my dad's grandpa. That he gave his life to a mission of changing the world and had a great glaring hypocrisy in his own home. 
That's the story that's been passed down. God, if that ain't a punch in the gut, it's chilling. It sharpens the question of what our legacy will be. What stories will people tell about us? What will be in our obituaries? What will be said at our graveside? And what do we think about that? You know, it's never too late to build some new stories. We can turn things around. Pull a Scrooge, if you will. Until we're dead. And we never know when that will be. Memento mori, amigos. Remember, you must die. Because that day's coming. And we got precious little time to work before it gets here. Speaking of how we'll be remembered, let's not forget that the substance of our lives may not be apparent until after we're gone. Till well after we're gone. How many geniuses died paupers? How many are dying right now? Toiling away in obscurity, or on the fringe, or in plain sight but just unappreciated. We can't know. They can't know. And that's... Man, that can take the wind right out of your sails. Even just the idea of it, much less the personalized version of the pain this knowledge can bring. It's torture to think that everything you do might only bring a return once you're dead. Because we all work hoping for a reward. We live out what we think is right. Hopefully because we sense this will make our lives... good? We do what we think we're supposed to because, well, then we get what we get what we want. Oh, wait. That's not how this works, is it? Not nearly always. Not in this plane. Right? We talked about it here before. But what happens to us? Our success or failure? Our notoriety? or our obscurity, our longevity, or our cut-short days. It's all maddeningly out of our hands. All we have are our choices. And we might make all the right ones and still hit the finish line feeling like we ain't done much. Perhaps this is why the idea of a post-life reward is so attractive. We feel like we're immortal. We feel like we must go on. This can't be it. And even for those who believe it is, I still think there's a sense of dignity and largeness when they look at their own consciousness. And it's a gut punch to contemplate that our work might actually be small and insignificant. The only comfort I find here is a faith that the good we do is of transcendent importance for those who receive it, even if it's just one person. And I hang on to the idea that a greater one is watching, and knows, and cares, even if no one else does. So that when the end comes, it won't all have been for nothing.
sleep of death, what dreams may come when we have shoveled off this mortal coil must give us pause. William Shakespeare Hamlet Nobody likes not knowing. We'll believe anything rather than live with the unknown. The stories we tell ourselves sometimes. And we have to to keep on going. What a wild thing. Think of it. Far as we know, none of the rest of the creatures on this planet, nothing else throughout the entire universe, depends on explanations the same way we do. Nothing else wonders. Nothing else seeks. Nothing else despairs when answers are not forthcoming. Isn't that interesting? Not necessarily all that helpful, but intriguing, nonetheless. And even that observation can obsess us. What does it mean that we have to know what it means? And if nothing means anything, the absurdity of even asking is absolute. But ask we do, and seek. Maybe we even knock, though on what door people have trouble agreeing. I really enjoyed how a movie called What Dreams May Come wrestled with all of this. It imagined that our minds were the real and our bodies were the illusion, and after we died and let go of this plane, we moved on to another that was mostly guided by the mind we created in life, either a kind of heaven or a hell of our own making. Fascinating visuals and a hopeful message about how human connection is a kind of salvation, a beautiful healing thing. The movie seemed to be saying, yeah, we're all lost and searching, but what we need to find is love. In this, we save each other. I think in a sense that's true, but sadly I suspect it's just a pipe dream. We're all trapped inside whatever this is. We can't force our way out. We need an interloper who's got all the cards and who can show us the way. But that idea seems ridiculous, doesn't it? Beyond sci-fi fantasy. If there's really another world that we can know, and that can know us, how could we ever even connect to it? It would have to connect to us for us to have any hope of reaching it. And that connection would seem so utterly strange and unreal. Like a dream which is what this life seems like sometimes. If life is a dream, though, I got one question. How do you wake up?
You don't even know what'll happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. James the Apostle A great many poetic things have been said about life and death, and they all seem to revolve around making the most of our time here in one way or another. Some people enjoy the more hopeless or cynical writings, the Edgar Allan Poe's, the Tyler Durden's. I like those too, but I resonate the most with passages that affirm our limited powers and our God-given potential. The ancient Hebrew poets were really good at this. Even if you got a beef with their legacy, you ought to take a look at the Psalms sometime. It's pathos on every page. Anyway, here's some poetic words on death from the Psalms, first from an ancient warrior king, and then from a compelling leader. Show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. Surely everyone goes around like a mere phantom. In vain they rush about, heaping up wealth without knowing whose it will finally be. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for help. Do not be deaf to my weeping. I dwell with you as a foreigner, a stranger, as all my ancestors were. Look away from me, that I may enjoy life again before I depart, and am no more. And another psalm. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Mm-mm. That's a shot in the arm, if you ask me. Yeah, we don't live long. We only get a few years, and then our reckoning comes. But in those few years, we have such an opportunity to generate good, a glorious responsibility, a power, and a hope. And that drives me forward. It keeps me humble. It grounds me and makes my spirit soar. I've been given time to work, and there is much to do. Same goes for you, my friend. You got days that are yours to fill. What are you going to do with them?
Now, conversely, this topic can make you want to throw up your hands and say, what's the point? Why do anything? Why try? Why build? If in the end it's all dust, if nothing endures, if our infinitesimal lives will be swallowed by time, why even get out of bed? It's a great question, and I want to let it hang for a moment. What is the point? Is there an ultimate why? We've all been asking that question since our childhood. It's the whole at the center of the human psyche. We ask it about the world, about our pain, about senseless tragedies. Now, I don't do current events on this show because I want all these musings to remain somewhat timeless. But in general terms, a horrible evil has been visited on children in recent days and many are now dead before their time. And what's appalling is that whenever you hear this, that statement will still be true. How I wish I was wrong, but alas. Why? Why must these things happen? Why in the face of such hell should we strive? When death seems to fall out of the sky at random, when evil people bring it to pass, when slow decay takes us while we're still living. Ain't it all just futile? What makes beauty worth it, other than pleasure? It's all going to turn to ash. It's all hollow. It's oblivion. Nihilism has a chilling logic to it. But its ultimate flaw is that it's a repudiation of the question itself. Instead of finding an answer, it says there isn't one. Nothing matters. Burn it all down. Save yourself the time. Oddly, though, even nihilists, I think, feel a deep sense of outrage at the seeming lack of meaning all around us. Their cynicism is their vengeance. But I imagine they'd still rather have the why, if it's out there. They'd still rather know because we all got to walk into the dark someday and we all want to know that what we're doing now means something. surrounded by death, you know. It's like this whole world is laying over sideways. 
and there's a poem I love by a guy named Charles Bukowski called The Circus of Death that captures this so starkly. A couple quotes for you. First, it's there. From the beginning to the middle to the end, there from light to darkness, there through the wasted days and nights, through the wasted years, the continuance of moving toward death, sitting with death in your lap, washing death out of your ears and from between your toes, talking to death, living with death while living through the stained walls and the flat tires and the changing of the guard, living with death in your stockings, opening the morning blinds to death, the circus of death, the dancing girls of death, the yellow teeth of death, the cobra of death, the deserts of death, death like a tennis ball in the mouth of a dog, death while eating a candlelight dinner, the roses of death, death like a moth, death like an empty shoe, death the dentist. And later in the poem, it's amazing, 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 we're clearly at the edge. It's thunder in a snail's shell. It's the red mark on the black widow. It's the mirror without a reflection. It's the singular viewpoint. It's the fog over Corpus Christi. It's in the eye of the hen. It's on the back of the turtle. It's moving at the sun. As you put on your shoes for the last time without knowing it. Not exactly a sunny guy, Bukowski, but his point is so incisive. We can see death like rising heat waves all around us. Every little mundane, insignificant moment of life is like a second hand ticking forward. There's a tragic beauty in each wingbeat of an insect, each sunset, each day after Christmas. We feel it like a hollow tree trunk, and we can't do a thing about it except live, live while we can, for something worth living for, worth dying for. I don't know if Bukowski ever found anything like that, but I hope you have, or if not, that you do. day we die, and whatever it is that happens finally happens to us. We go on. We pass over. Maybe we cease to exist. Maybe there really is an eternal resting place and a fiery end for the evil. Maybe there's a final apocalypse, or perhaps everything fades into night. None of us really knows. It is one of the great mysteries the great equalizer. Each and every one of us will face death without ironclad proof of our worldview. 
We all live in a kind of blind faith when it comes to that. And that is a grim and bitter pill to swallow. It's why every quest for wisdom and truth involves a search for peace with death. It explains safety protocols and handrails and stoplights and epipans. We don't want to die. We don't know what it'll be like. We don't know what's out there or who. Will we be alone? Will there be someone waiting for us on the other side? Will our soul or spirit or consciousness be free or bound? Or worse? I don't know. I can't tell you. I can tell you what I believe and why it makes sense. But you got to answer these questions for yourself. Or like many, you could just shove the question aside and pretend it don't exist. Eat, drink, and be merry and forget about tomorrow. But forget though we may, tomorrow is still coming. Despite how foreign it seems to us at times, death is real. This life really is limited. We're living in the dash between our start and our end, so to speak. What do we do? It's so easy to just throw up your hands and say, what's the point? But we mustn't. We gotta make hay while the sun shines. We gotta seize the days. We gotta live in each small moment and every momentous choice. We're planting seeds for future generations, and I believe, for our own limitless hereafter. May we plant seeds that generate life, because the truth is there's a way to find life, even though you die. Look behind. Remember you're mortal. Remember you must die. But in the meantime, my friends, you must live. That's all for now, my friends. Thanks for lending me your ears. If you like, please do subscribe, rate and review, and share it with someone who enjoys thinking deeply. If you want to reach out to me, I'm on Twitter at ArevenantAlien, or you can drop me a line using RevenantAlien.com contact. If you want to support the show, head on over to RevenantAlien.com support and follow the link to my anchor page. And as always, when it comes to life and death and ultimate questions, I've left my thoughts for you at RevenantAlien.com searchers. There's no easy answer, but I think there is an answer. And I hope you find it. Don't be a stranger. Godspeed. And I'll see you out there. Thank you.